There's so much beauty and joy and freedom in finding that devotional life. The devil works hard to make sure that we are not fully authentic friends, so it takes work, it takes sweat. If you're just going to sit there and sob about the circumstances that you're in, nothing's going to change. The practice of our faith is a daily thing. The natural order of relationships are towards chaos, disrespect. But Christ absorbs it and returns that with love. When we face suffering, we want to like, we want to fight, we want to just lash out at the world because we've been so much pain. Your life is not your own to do with what you please. It was bought and paid for by Jesus on the cross. You actually do not have the right to do whatever you want to do. Oh my gosh, this is going to be a mess. <laughs> Welcome back to the Armor of Light podcast. My name is Brady, joined as always by James and Jared. And today we have a special guest, Allison, uh, joining us to talk about what is the Christian... Uh, story. What we we're going to look at how the Christian faith is portrayed in movies, uh, how the Christian ethic shows up in different stories, and how we we view pop culture in a lens that we know what we should take from it and what we shouldn't. Maybe, uh, but first we have a question from our mailbag. Jerry, you want to read it from the wonderful BP Men of Armor of Light. I didn't think it was possible, but y'all made me fall in love with this podcast all over again. The new logo is straight fire emoji. When I started listening to season two, the new intro had me fall to a knee and shed a single tear. Oh, thank you. Of joy at the epicness of the intro. Wow. The discernment topic was great and so many good nuggets of wisdom in there. Question for y'all. How do the men of Armor of Light podcast like to celebrate Sabbaths? Well, personally, I've been trying to actually focus on leisure on the Sabbath, but as a student, that is incredibly difficult to do. So if I have homework to do, I'll at least go to a coffee shop and be at a location that's a little more enjoyable to do work. So even if I'm doing work, it's still a more relaxing atmosphere. That's not ideal. But I think as college students, it can be very difficult to completely set aside an entire day from work. I don't know if you guys have been able to completely set aside Sunday. But yeah, also last weekend, the Armor of Light guys got together to watch a movie, made some meatballs, watched The Godfather. Good way to end the weekend. It's fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, just trying to focus on um, community, more fellowship. You really have to be intentional about the Sabbath. It takes work to not do work. And I think it's super easy to get caught up in doing work and it doesn't, uh, it can really take away from your time to just relax. I'd say like one of the ways that I celebrate Sabbath is by doing something intentionally, like something that I don't normally do. Um, now it's hard because sometimes I've gotten into the habit of like going out to eat, but like Maybe I'll just get like my favorite food or like like order a pizza or something like that. Like something that I really enjoy and I'll do that on Sundays where I don't normally do it. Or like um like some I, I enjoy having a like a pop, but I don't do it during the week. So I'd say like Sundays are a time when I can enjoy like a couple pops, you know, like it's something that it, it's minuscule, but it's a way that I tried to like 
set apart that as something that I can do on Sundays instead of doing it every day, which obviously wouldn't be healthy, but enjoying it in moderation. Mm -hmm. I will usually try to, no, pretty much every time I will make sure that there's something during the day, usually at night. That's, that's fun. Like going over to James's place, watching Godfather or having some boys over uh, for drinks or, you know, do cigars or whatever. But um, there's always something that is like, with community and there's joy and there's fun. Um, I share the same difficulty of clearing a whole day out from doing work. Um, but my, usually my qualification is the work that I do on Sundays, if any, is not work that I have to do, but work that I want to do. And so whether that looks like getting ahead maybe on, on some assignments that I really don't have to do, or cleaning my room, <laughs> like something that will make my next week better. Um, or just simply fun things like editing the podcast or, you know, doing other projects that I have going on or prepping for small group or, you know, Bible study, uh, things like that. So it's still work, but it's fun work. <laughs> Allison, do you have a uh, way you celebrate the Sabbath? Yeah, I'm not one of the uh, the men on Armor of Light, but I do, I like to start out the Sabbath on Saturday night. I go to karaoke with my friends pretty much every weekend. Um, we go to this like little, um, it's like a towny kind of bar and there's like no one there, but they know us. Um, so we bring a bunch of Catholics and we all show up and we sing karaoke, which is a great time. Um, and then on Sunday, I try to not do any homework on Sunday, which usually means I spend a lot of Saturday doing homework. Um, but then I will do things that kind of like help me balance the rest of my week, but are also fun. I enjoy cooking. So I'll do like meal prepping, um, for the week, or I will spend some time reading a book or watch a movie with friends. Um, I try to like not do anything that is too much like I want to say selfish, like just spending time by myself. Sometimes I need that, um, but I try to spend time with friends on Sunday and Saturday is more of my, I need to get work done. I'm spending time by myself kind of day. Sweet. Thank you, BP, for another excellent question and reminder to all of our other listeners that uh, our email is attached to the description. And if you have a question about any of the episodes or something you would like us to discuss, uh, please send it in. Oh, okay. Now the episode stuff's just um, content yeah. at that point. Actually, I can't talk anymore now that we're recording. Uh, <laughs> the red light's on. Uh, scared. Okay. You, How you do you do your own normal. podcast then? How do I do my podcast? <laughs> if there's a red light and then you just get frozen. Well, I don't have a red light, actually. Oh, uh, okay. Yep. It's a blue one? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, It's like... What color is the light? I just have like my laptop up. And so like when it starts recording, it starts going like this. And it's kind of therapeutic, you know? Oh. It's not yeah. really, but it's like, oh, there's my voice. So whenever I talk, I'm like, ah, oh, there it is. <laughs> I just, like, keep going. Is Fair it enough. tough to just talk on your own? Yeah, actually. It, 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 that would be so hard. Editing the videos is awful mm -hmm. because I'm just sitting there listening to my own voice over and over again. I'm like, oh, gosh, yeah. this is awful. But. Do you do it on, like, Audacity or something? Yeah, I use Audacity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's yeah. what we use. Because yeah. I'm cheap, you know. Well, we use... We use it because it works. We use mm -hmm. that to edit. 
Yeah, my dad, like, has a degree in music business, and so I was asking him, like, oh, what kind of stuff should I get? And he's like, well, you need to, like, get Cakewalk, and then you need to, like, buy the premium version and then all of this. And I was like, okay, what can I do that, like, I can actually learn how to use? And he's like, just get Audacity. <laughs> <laughs> Gave up. So, yeah. What is your podcast about, again? It is about... Well, the three episodes I have out right now, we'll have more in the future, um, but it's about, like, Christianity, and more specifically because I'm Catholic, like, well, Catholicism. We're going to have to ask her this again. Wait, aren't Bro, we recording? Oh, correct. I thought, I, you haven't done your intro, Brady. It no, didn't not, feel like... Oh, we're not doing an intro. We're Wait. just talking, and then in the editing... Oh. Well, they told me that, started. but not you. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Um, but yeah, my podcast is like about Christianity, Catholicism in movies and TV shows. Um, and then kind of like, if like, let's say you only ever watched Jane the Virgin and that was your only, not actually, that's not the only show you watched, but your only exposure to like Catholicism was like what you saw in a TV show. Would it be an accurate depiction? Yes. No. Um, are there things that like, okay, a movie that is about the Catholic church is everything in it, like, actually um, canon? Is there anything that's like, oh, that's not actually what the church believes, but people think that they believe it because they saw it in a movie or in a TV show? Um, but also there's, like, negative stereotypes of Catholics and Christians in movies and TV shows that are, like, perpetuated in these. So, like, you have, like, Angela Martin in The Office. Like, she's Christian, and then she's, like, really like uptight and people don't like her but then she's also sleeping around and so it's like okay is this what people think about you know really devout christians um maybe because that's like what is being portrayed in a lot of our like pop culture so that's kind of what i look at i do it for more like a research side um so i like take a lot of time to look into like why did people create this um like fact check a lot of things in movies and tv shows and then um yeah kind of go at it that way and um yeah that's what it's about it's very interesting Sweet. sorry for interrupting <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you think the portrayal of catholicism in most movies is negative or do you think there's a pretty good like accurate depiction of what the catholic church actually believes no i think it's pretty much negative okay. like all the time yeah. um i wouldn't say all the time there are like movies that are created by catholics such as like the passion of the christ like that that's not specifically Catholic, though, but that is, like, done with, like, more of a Catholic stance on the, um, you know, the whole passion and everything. And so those are, like, pretty positive. But usually if it's, like, a secular movie with, like, a Catholic character thrown in, it's like, oh, we don't really like them that much. Um, and I wouldn't say that there's a lot of, like, movies that are created by Catholics about, like, just, like, a Catholic living a life, you know? Um, so it is usually just they're kind of, like, thrown into a secular movie. And the Catholic Church is the most picked on out of all of the, like, Christian sects. Um, that sounded like sex. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is a PG um, podcast. Sorry, sorry. Um, out of all of the Christian groups, uh, Catholicism is definitely the one that's the most picked on. Um, because it's really easy to pick on Catholics because they do weird stuff. Like, um, you know, fasting for Lent and... Um, you know, Ash Wednesday's tomorrow, so it's like, oh, they walk around with ashes on their head. That's kind of weird. We can, like, actually, like, visually show that in movies, whereas, like, other Christian groups are a lot less noticeable from the outside. And I think, like, if you mm. tried to, like, say, oh, the Baptists always do this, and it's like, well, not this sect of Baptists or this one or this one or this mm -hmm. one. It's like, 
yeah i mean we all have one rule and then there's the the other ones where it's like well you've got elca lutheran and you've got missouri synod lutheran and martin lutheran and And if you're going to show like a scene of a stereotypical church you're probably going to show a catholic church because it doesn't look like a mall it actually looks like a church Mm. i mean some churches do some yes (laughs) but the only churches that look like churches are the catholic churches you won't find like a very traditional church outside of the catholic church except yeah. maybe the eastern orthodox but especially in like america i think some european churches that might be like christian churches are like look catholic in a way mm-hmm. or like look that traditional look but in america it's like oh you're baptist like build a large shed and um put some chairs in it you know nothing against the baptist yeah. like but it is just kind of more of like a modern look um because I think that, like, worship has turned into more of, like, a production. So they would, like, create something that looks like a space to have a production. Right. Well, sweet. I think maybe we can talk about, we had this idea earlier of just talking about what is the Christian story. Like, you you, you kind of survey movies and see, like you were saying earlier, just, like, how is the Catholic or the Christian faith portrayed? Is that accurate? But maybe we can dive into, maybe that more broadly, but just like great stories in general. Why do they, why do they work? You know, um, is it because they're just random words strung together and they make us feel good? Or like, is there actual meaning behind it? Yeah. Are you talking like movies that would be considered like secular, but still have like a really great storyline? Something in like Lord of the Rings um things like mm. that that are not necessarily christian that still like portray a good story or are you talking like stories that are christian but just like looking at what that is in general like do you see what i'm saying yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah i see what you're saying uh, i think i almost think it would be more in- more interesting to do it in kind of the lord of the rings way where okay. it's not an explicitly christian movie but there's still something in that story that everybody resonates with mm-hmm yeah, I think that's, like, similar with a lot of hero stories is, like, you want to see the good guy win. Um, and, like, that is, like, every time it, like, relates to that, like, cosmic battle that's, like, so prevalent in Christianity. It's like, okay, you know, Jesus um, sacrificing his life for, like, our, like, redemption of all of our sins, saving the world and everything. Um, so many times in superhero movies, um, anything that's, like, an action epic is all, like oh, the good guy is sacrificing his life for everyone else um, so that they can live. Like, that is really, like, when it comes down to it, every movie that's good and, like, people, like, especially ones that, like, everybody, like, really likes, especially I look at, like, the Marvel franchise. Like, everyone is, like, a fan of, like, at least one superhero in the Marvel universe. Um, And it's because they sacrifice their life for all of the people in the world who, um, whether they know them or not, um, I mean, like not trying to like say that Jesus doesn't know all of us, but like in that idea of like superhero movies, it's like, um, yeah, they are laying down their life and that's attractive to everyone because they want someone to lay down their life for them. I would say, is there like from like a, a non really, I'm not like super into film and stuff like that. So I, I don't know how to speak on it as much, but just from an outsider's perspective, especially with the Marvel scene, you see how a lot of corporatism has worked its way into their cinematography. There's not as much 
focus on the storylines as much as focus on what will keep people watching on Disney Plus or something like that. What, in your eyes, like, have you seen how it takes away from the message and how? Hmm. I don't know. Because I think that, like, can you give me an example of, like, like a corporatized um like in the i'll just ramble a little bit in the the last uh, avengers movie there's that huge fight scene Mm -hmm. it's like every single avengers character ever created against like every single villain that's there and they're just together and they're just fighting Mm -hmm. and like the entire movie that's the story there isn't much of a story it's just one battle and for most of the movie it's just a battle and it seems to me that that's kind of like a sellout like it's easy to just use a bunch of special effects and make a cool fight scene it takes a lot more work to actually develop characters and develop a story but as consumers we want to see like a quick fix a quick fight because that Mm. sells and i would say like you could tell that there was elements of that in the fact that they they reused a lot of old sets um like they went back to chris evans like the the factory where they did the not the factory the laboratory where they did his the experiment Mm -hmm. that gave captain america the powers and um several other places throughout the marvel world like where they'd already been kind of like it makes you want to just kind of rush to the end Mm -hmm. um but i do see in in endgame like how they talk they uh they wind it up with like tony stark Oh, spoilers. <laughs> I mean, if you haven't seen it at this point... My policy I think... is, if the movie's been out for a year, you can spoil it because people have had plenty of opportunity okay. to watch it. All right, well, then Tony Stark dies. Um, what? Wait, wait a second. <laughs> when when he, like, like does, like, the whole snap to, like, give up his life, give up his kid and his wife, like, the things that he'd always, like, worked for and things that he didn't want to give up throughout the entire episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, when he did that, it was... Um, like that I'd say was like an element of the Christian story where you could see that. But when you focus, I'd say like a lot of what that was, was also to try to boost their next set of movies. Like they kill, you know, everyone knows how it's like, that was the one generation of Marvel. And so now they took off the, you, you don't have the Captain America's, the Iron Man's, Hulk, Black Widow, rest in peace. <laughs> um, they took out a lot of that. And anyone else who didn't want to sign another contract, they took out of the series and then they added the um, the new Captain America and the Falcon. And then um, Hawkeye. Like they kind of just used their stories just to prop them up and put them into a series on Mm -hmm. Disney plus. Yeah. I think that like going back to kind of like the end game, like, Oh, we just brought everyone together and there wasn't any story development. I think like also there was a lot of story development for all of those characters in like movies that came before. So this was kind of like the culmination of like bringing everyone together. Um, like they've like gone through, um, all of their storylines and everything. And now it's like bringing everyone together and then kind of putting a cap on, like you were saying, like putting a cap on this generation. 
Um, so I wouldn't say that there's like no storyline. There is less of a storyline because it is like, oh, we just want to have like a cool fight and everyone's there. And like when you have all of those like superstars in one scene, it's like, okay, we have to give everyone their moment. And then that kind of just takes up a lot of time to give everyone their moment. Um, so I see where that comes from. I would say like earlier Marvel movies though, like the individual ones, like anything that was like, oh, an Iron Man movie or specifically a Captain America movie, those were more centered on like, this is um, like, there's like a plot throughout the whole thing. They are like at the end of every movie somehow laying down their life for a lot of people. Um, So I think, yeah, it's definitely gotten to a point where it's becoming less and less popular as, you know, Christianity is also becoming less and less popular um, in the eyes of like our secular world. So I'm not really sure what people out there really want anymore because like for me I'm like yeah I know what I want um and I'm sure for you all you're like this is you know we find like meaning in Catholicism and like our faith but I don't really don't know anymore what people in the secular world who like don't claim any religion really are trying to get so I think movies are starting to reflect that too because anymore like I'm like what is the plot what are we watching is it just like people I, like, I actually don't enjoy movies where it's just, like, oh, it's people just living their normal life for two hours. I'm, like, why am I watching this? I'm here for, like, a big adventure. What kind of movies, like, what what examples, like, hmm. maybe I'd be able to understand a reference? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't want to do a lot of You're movies. not of this world, Terry. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, trying holy. to think. Um, hey, Father's Day was so good. That's oh. one of, that's all that's on my mind right now. It's the most recent movie I've watched. But How often do you guys cry in that movie? At least once. At least once, okay. Twice. Shoot. Okay, I'm going to tell you guys, I haven't watched Father Stew. What? I know. And I, like, have a podcast about Catholicism in movies. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Perhaps we could do a joint venture with that one. Oh. Yeah. Oh, we okay. could. Okay. 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 Do you want to throw that one out there? Just I, little Flex here, watched it in theaters with a priest. Oh. oh. Okay. Oh, so. See, I... Oh. Did not do that. I could rent a theater and find a priest. Actually, I could get two. I could get two priests. Um, <laughs> one theater, though. <laughs> yeah, the whole theater, actually. Um, one theater, two priests. Yes, and I'll be there also. Yeah. Actually, I'm just gonna send the two priests in, and they're gonna tell me what happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I haven't watched it yet. I think I was just kind of like when it came out was when I was starting my podcast, and I was like, it'd be really cool if I could just wait and watch it for the first time like and record like reactions of like me watching it for the first time and then go back and like fact check everything afterwards um i don't think that there's probably gonna be a lot in that story that needs to be like fact checked because it is kind of more of like a personal um yeah like conversion story um coming through like discernment and everything from what i've heard about it so um but yeah it would definitely be cool to see like a different perspective on Because for me, I look at everything like research, religious studies based, which is like we talk about bracketing a lot, um, which means like putting your religious views to the side and um, looking at things objectively. So I do that a lot in my podcast. And so maybe taking that movie and doing it less so would be good to do because it is like not something that really you can... um, I don't want to say argue with too much, but you can't really, like, say, oh, this story, like, is a bad story when it's about someone, you know. Do you ever find yourself kind of missing the story when you're... Because I know if I watch, like, a 
Christian movie and I'm constantly trying to see if it's true, I'm kind of like missing the actual story that they're trying to portray. Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself doing that or is there some balance? Yeah, I would say sometimes, definitely. The first time I watch a movie, usually not. I'm just like watching it, seeing what the story is. And then I'll probably watch it again and go back and I'm like, okay, was this right? Yes or no? Most of the times, um, I would say like there's a difference between like being wrong and being really cheesy. Um, and sometimes I like get upset whenever it's really cheesy. I'm like, I just don't enjoy this. Mm. That doesn't make it wrong or like, okay, it isn't what people believe. But when like their beliefs are blown out of proportion, um, then it just like becomes unattractive in a way. Yeah, like the God's Not Dead movies. Yeah. Like, awful. No, I can't. I mean, like, the story they tried, it could be an interesting story, but everything about it was so cheesy, and then mm-hmm. it's so cheesy you miss the entire point of the story. Yeah. That comes from, like, there's two different film industries. There is Hollywood taking Christianity, and there is Christianity taking Hollywood. Um, and so that's, like, Christianity taking on Hollywood, and, like, um, essentially God's Not Dead was created for the purpose of, like, conversion, instead of like other movies are created to like tell a story they're like we're trying to convert people with this movie um and so i think that's when it becomes cheesy because they're trying to like get their message across and say like oh um we want to like it's a beautiful thing to like want to bring souls to um the christian faith but when you try to like do that through a movie sometimes like for people who are already Christian, it becomes really unattractive because I don't know. It just is like when you're like faith, especially like for me, like being Catholic, um, seeing a Christian made movie where I don't necessarily agree with like every single thing they're doing. And then having that like jam down your throat, you're like, this is just kind of like a turnoff actually for the faith. Yeah. And then it kind of gives you that same vibes as those people who stand outside the library and tell you to convert or die. Like, yeah, it's just not, it isn't like an authentic someone who's trying to like walk with you like uh, this this is a little tangent but when i was talking to someone once they were talking about how um they dis they didn't like the way that people like dressed at the gym and like I'm, i completely agree but you can't just this person wanted to just go up and say like oh you know put on some clothes you person and so i was like that's not how you do it you have to like walk with them and create like a genuine interest in them like don't go up there and tell them that you're going to be that they need to change their clothes right what now unless you're willing to walk with them and teach them why that's the right way to go yeah there's like i think i've like talked about this before with like uh one of the small groups i lead um but there's like a quote that is um everyone or like a teacher becomes a good teacher because they were first a witness. Um, so I think that's like so true with like, I don't want to be taught something unless I trust the person who is trying to teach me. And that doesn't come from like the first interaction I ever have with this person is them coming up to me and saying like, you're doing things wrong, change. Like, I don't want to do that. But if like I become friends with this person, I know them. Um, we've established, you know, like good camaraderie. And then they come up to me and say, hey, like, you should probably do something different. Then I'm like, oh, I trust this person. Maybe their opinion is right. But if it's like, okay, I just went to the theaters to see a movie and boom, they're trying to tell me that, like, you know, God's not dead and he's real and I'm an atheist. Someone's going to be like, no, that's just completely unattractive. I'm not going to believe any of this. Yeah. And it does like it doesn't feel like they're going through the full effort of trying to 
like make the argument either there's some ways that they tiptoe around like i think there is specifically in god's not dead there is the argument about um the unmoved mover like get like into the the very surface of it Mm -hmm. they don't really talk about like the the deeper meetings and like the aquinas theology of it 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 is like a really in-depth thing that I, i couldn't talk about for sure but it feels like something that they raise the surface of and then the guy gets hit by a car you know (laughs) like yeah i think that's like also the downfall of movies is that it is like there's only so much time and you know you can't have someone sitting there for six hours watching you know all of the arguments Mm -hmm. like in their entirety so people are only seeing the surface level of it i think it also like breaks down like if someone has been an atheist their entire life and um then they go and watch this movie where someone is an atheist and becomes like someone who believes in God within like an hour and a half. That's just like completely unattainable. Like conversion does not happen that quickly. Um, and so I think that that's something also that a movie can't capture is actually like, it does take a long time and like a lot of conversations for people to come around to believing new things. Yeah. I think a lot of those Christian movies, you said there were those two separate types of movies, Hollywood that has mm-hmm. some Christian themes and then Christian movies that are trying to be like Hollywood. That second set of movies, everything is so black and white in those movies. Like, there's clearly a good guy. There's clearly a bad guy. And in real life, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So I think Hollywood movies, like a good movie, kind of has, it focuses on the gray, the gray area, because that's a lot more realistic. Yeah. And that's a much more compelling story. Yeah, because, like, what about the Christian who is not sure about God's existence? And, like, they're still, like, identify as Christian. They're, like, trying. But, I mean, in, like, God's Not Dead, there's that picture of, like, either you are an atheist professor who doesn't believe in God at all, or you're, like, this super religious student who is, like, standing up for their faith in front of their class their first semester at school. And um, they, like, completely believe everything. I think that there is such a middle ground sometimes that, like, it's really hard to be in that middle ground and see that maybe, like, okay, this movie is showing that there isn't a middle ground. Now you're feeling like out of place. You're like, I have to pick a side. And if you're not sure about either side, you know, you're not sure about making a right decision. I think that that just like kind of puts people in a corner. Like you have to choose between this black or white option when they're like facing questions that they just like need to take time to figure out instead of kind of being forced into an option. So when it's not, when a movie is not, blatantly christian or like mm-hmm. shoving down the message uh down your throat what themes do we think are the most like that resonate because i think of like let's say modern hero stories or at the very least movies that i like <laughs> <laughs> um i like the the superhero movies are easy ones to uh see how they're a hero obviously but then star wars uh, I would say has a lot of good themes in it. And then Harry Potter, I would also say has, I just don't think it's a coincidence that it's, it's as popular as it was without in some way resonating. Um, you made a face else. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you. I just think the movie's kind of goofy. Harry Potter (laughs) is just like, I think it's an iffy place for a lot of Catholics because there is like, potential like there's been more and more like jk rowling talking about how she 
wrote the books. I don't quote me on this, but from what I've heard is that she like wrote the books under the influence of like a psychic telling her like all kinds of stuff and like some weird stuff going on. So I'm just like, I grew up with Harry Potter. Like I watched all the movies, read all the books and everything. And just like in the past couple of years, I've just heard some weird stuff about it. So I'm a little wary about Harry Potter right now because I haven't had time to like really dive into it. Um, but there is definitely that, like, okay, the boy who lived, who's, like, the chosen one, he's going to, like, essentially, like, at the oh, end, Harry does Harry. have to, like, die for everyone else to, like, defeat the enemy. Um, and he, like, does become resurrected in, like, a weird train sense where he, like, has a choice to, like, not come back to Earth or to come back, which, like, I'm not sure that that resonates, like, Christian themes, but there is that, like all of this like leads up to like he's a powerful guy um people follow him because he's good and he sacrifices his life for others um i think really what it comes down to at like the root is like ultimately what makes a hero a hero in movies is that even if they're like selfish in all other aspects one choice is like a very selfless love um for people that they may not know people that are very close to them but like their definitive move that makes them a hero is an act of selfless love and so I think that that is really like at the core of a lot of like really good movies is like is like was it done for selfish reasons or was this like an act of selfless love from the main hero yeah I would almost say the Harry Potter and uh the superhero movies are almost in a separate category because what's so cool about Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings is that the hero is just an everyday normal person in the superhero movies, they have some sort of supernatural ability that makes them able to be yeah, a hero. Interesting. Mm -hmm. But in Harry Potter, he's just a he's just a guy, and he teaches himself how to become a good wizard. In Lord of the Rings, it's just the lowest of the low, the hobbits that end yeah. up being the hero. But there's nothing special about them. But yet their their normalcy is actually what makes them heroes in the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And another thing that's really attractive about Lord of the Rings is that there is, like, such a deep friendship at the core of it, too. Like, they at no time are ever, like, on their own in the fight. Because, um, like, Sam and Frodo are together, um, even when they separate from the rest of the group. Or Merry and Pippin are usually always together. Or, like, yeah, the, the groups are, like, always together. Um, and I think that that's another thing. Superhero movies... Usually they're pretty, like, on their own, but sometimes there's, like, some crossovers where they're like, oh, we have a buddy. I think that's what's cool about the Avengers movies is it's like, oh, there is, like, a sense of friendship where they come together and they're fighting together. Um, and Harry Potter, you know, have got Harry, Ron, and Hermione that are the, the central three. And then, like, Dumbledore is, like, a, a Gandalf figure, kind of, but Gandalf is way cooler. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Gandalf doesn't actually die. Sorry, Dumbledore, but... Sorry, I'm not familiar with either of the movies. Which one's in which? Harry Potter? Yeah, which one's no way. Dog. No. Oh. They Dumbledore. look pretty much the same. Old guys with big long beards. Yeah. Take your heresy over here. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Dumbledore is in Harry Potter. He falls to his death in the sixth movie. Rip. And um, Gandalf is in Lord of the Rings. Also falls to his death, but he defeats the Balrog and is resurrected and comes he's back the, even better. He's the one who does like I sh you not shall not pass. Right? Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah. Comes back as the White Wizard. Great. Oh meatball. man, it's great. Excellent. Yeah. What is your favorite 
not explicitly Christian movie. Yeah, there's a lot. I like a lot of movies. Um, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. Like, I have the extended editions. I've watched all the -the behind-the-scenes footage. Like, I love it. Um, Read the books. So I really like those. I also... I'm a big, like, action movie fan. So, like, Marvel movies. I like pretty much anything my family watched, like, growing up. um, Is, like, something I'm a fan of. Recent movies that I really like... I really liked Knives Out. Did you guys see that? I, yes. saw, that was I, very... saw, I saw the second one. Oh, okay. The second one's not as good as the first one. First one is really good. The first was really mm-hmm. good. And that wasn't like a Christian movie, but it was definitely like the, I don't know, like good character, um, kind of like staying true and being truthful. Um, also, I just like love the mystery twist all over mm-hmm. the place. So yeah. And the fact that she couldn't lie with that. Yeah. Yeah, that was really cool because she had to, I mean, we had the debate, like, what is lying? But she had to figure out how to not be, like, maneuver around the truth without Mm -hmm. giving herself up. Yeah. Anyway, that's a a, a side. What's your favorite, James? Oh, my gosh. Um, There's a movie, a hockey movie called Miracle. Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah. Yes, beat the Soviets. Exactly. It's about the, (laughs) like, 1980s. Uh, Olympic team they beat mm-hmm. the Soviet Union's huge underdogs so like Soviet Union hockey team is probably the greatest team ever created and there's just this misfit group of college hockey players that are representing the United States because in the United States we didn't I, I think it was just in the United States we didn't allow our professional NHL players to go and play in the Olympics correct so they would go and play in other countries right mm. right but they had a couple months to come together as a team and it's basically David against Goliath and there's a there's a uh, speech that the coach gives right before the last game. It makes me want to run through a brick wall every time. It gets me so pumped up. <laughs> it's good. But. I I remember watching that movie the first time, and when they stayed after the one game that they lost really badly, and they were like running drills yeah. over and over again, I was like, oh gosh, is this what <laughs> hockey is? Because I never want to play. <laughs> it's like the grown up Mighty Ducks for me. Like I also yeah. love the Mighty Ducks because it's kind of the same story, but just like kids you know yeah but honestly kids hockey and the mighty ducks was kind of brutal like they were like knocking kids out like we're gonna finish him and i'm like whoa you guys are like seven (laughs) chill out (laughs) just boys being boys so i just uh i don't know if he is to to like steer this in a different direction like with different movies nowadays i feel like there's like been a rise of the anti-hero Mm-hmm. Um, for example, like the Godfather, obviously is more centered around the, yeah, we just watched that the other day. <laughs> uh, like it's more centered around the, the mob boss and like, like depicting his life and his point of view, um, a lesser, less serious example would be like Gru in Despicable Me. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's the, con- the first movie is about him converting to good, but like, it is kind of like centering around that that kind of archetype. Like, have you noticed that in movies? Yeah. Really? The one that like pops in my mind is they made uh, the movie about Joker. Does anyone? Uh, yeah. That was like, it was a good movie. It was kind of bloody, kind of like, I remember watching it. Like, so I went to Cyclone Cinema once in my life and it was to see Joker. <laughs> oh, <laughs> same. Same here. Um, oh. And so. I got a story for that. I just was like, 
not expecting it, but that was definitely the, like, okay, this person is the villain, um, but, like, let's, like, give them a backstory um, and kind of show how they got where they are. I think that it's an interesting perspective, but I'm not, like, basing any of my morality off of, like, these movies. I'm like, oh, this was a fun movie to watch, but I don't ever... Like, with those movies, I don't think I ever am like, I want to watch that again. Like, every year I'm going to mm. watch it at least once. I'm like, oh, I saw it. I'm good to go. Kind of a thing. Um, that movie was one of the only movies that really got me to, like, feel something. Like, I, I was on the edge of my seat during that movie, partly because it's, like, so bloody, but also, like, I realized halfway through, I'm rooting for the bad guy. Like, it yeah. got me to sympathize with this, this murderer. Um, so one, like, I think a very impressive movie. I don't really know how they did it, but yeah, it was, it it was, I think it, it didn't like resonate with any hero kind of themes, but I think it played on, I don't know, maybe like just human passions. And so it made you fear and horror and like it it got you, like it was a visceral experience watching that movie. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a danger in you siding with the villain because like you're saying there are a lot more of these anti-hero movies now and we tend to side with the anti-hero in those movies and if more and more of the movies are about us siding with the bad guy do you think that shapes how we view the world at all instead of siding with the hero as, as we traditionally have done yeah in the story like 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 you said there's like a lot of blood and blood and gore in joker but it, at the end it makes you try to want to like sympathize with that bad guy and feel bad for him but it's like does that in a way like desensitize you maybe to some of the blood and gore Hmm. yeah definitely i would say that like watching movies now that are like super bloody i'm like uh okay and then my parents will watch it and they're like oh gross and i think it's yeah definitely like i think we just grew up with a generation that's like oh yeah every movie has like some type of blood and gore in it we just like don't care anymore or like even like medical tv shows and there's just like blood everywhere like Mm. massive injuries i'm like who even created like has this ever happened to a person ever why is it all (laughs) happening at this one hospital in seattle like (laughs) yeah no there's there's one uh episode of ncis i was watching where it's like like it didn't it happens in like every episode but like the doc is the the morgue guy coroner is just kind of like going through and doing these autopsies and it's just got the most graphic sounds it's like (laughs) as he's like oh yeah that's hot like (laughs) put that on the soundboard (laughs) yeah i also think with like like uh serial killer tv shows like criminal minds Mm. i think about that that i think i am so desensitized to serial killers anymore because i'm like oh yeah i watched all 15 seasons of criminal minds like nothing surprises me anymore you know does reed ever get a wife no no unfortunately Uh, all of his girlfriends die in some tragic way and jj was stolen yeah but like her like louisiana or louis how do you say that louisianian louisian louisian Her New Orleans husband. He's no, pretty Cajun. cool, though. Cajun, not oh, Bayesian. What did you say? I said Cajun, not Bayesian. Oh, okay. I don't know what Bayesian is. That's... Okay, weird. It's, it's anyway, a new thing. Cajun. <laughs> but yeah, I think, like, those kinds of shows also are desensitizing to different things. I think any show 
if you watch enough of a certain thing, it just becomes desensitized. You also think about like, just like the sexuality you also see in movies and TV shows anymore, that it just becomes so like, honestly, there's like so much explicit sexuality in so many TV shows. And people are just like, oh yeah, that's normal. When actually like, you know, back in the fifties, that would be considered like X-rated porn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I think that that, that's probably like one of the hard things because I've heard arguments about why there should be like sexual scenes in movies to kind of create attention. Um, but I think that the problem is they've gone away from like, like the story and like maybe kind of giving like the implications of something going on. Um, and like in every case now it's two people who aren't married. So it like, like that makes it that much worse but then like in some examples like uh, so i can't remember exactly there was a uh, an andrew clavin episode about like he, he talked about like how it can be good in some sense to have those things and like to create like character development or um to like show like the bonding between two characters like but it doesn't have to be like like showing everything that's going on it's just like maybe a hint or like like shadows or um, yeah. silhouettes that kind of thing instead of like nowadays where it the focus is more on like the angles and like seeing everything that's going on than it is about like what mm-hmm. like people you could depict someone or a couple that definitely has like a relationship with like sexual aspects without having to like show what those aspects are mm-hmm. you know you can like have them like and not that like i agree with this idea but like go home together at night um that like implies that that's a kind of like the kind of relationship they have like cohabitation um different things like that that you can like yeah you can cut the camera before anything like explicit has to take place i also like to think of it i'm like like yeah like in the show these people are like in that relationship but like i always think about actors that are like married and then they're filming sex scenes with people who are not their spouse like there's got to be some level of adultery happening there that like no matter what even if it's like part of the plot like there is something like in their own personal lives like your job should never force you to put yourself into a position where like it could be perceived as you cheating on your wife yeah and it could cause scandal too yeah Okay, what do you think? I think that's really interesting that when you look at a sex scene, you can separate the actor from the uh, the character mm-hmm. that they're playing. Do you think there's a line between like portraying evil in a movie? Do you think that can affect an yeah. actor, the person watching the movie? Because obviously an actor portraying a sex scene, that's affecting them mm-hmm. outside of the story. Yeah, I mean, you have, like, Heath Ledger, who, like, was Mm. Joker and went down, like, a rabbit hole and ended up committing suicide because he just, like, got into a place of depression because of the character he was forced to play. Um, That, that, like, was not healthy for him, impacted his life. I mean, ended it um, because of, like, putting, like, having to put themselves in that position where they play a bad character. I think, like, of a lot of characters or a lot of actors that are constantly cast as the villain in a lot of things that... Like, in their personal lives, I don't think I ever hear anything good about them. But like, I, I think that there has to be some level of, like, they're used to playing the bad person. When do you start believing, like, oh, I am just, like, the bad person now? James Earl Jones. But he might be a, an outscript. 
Well, he just like voice recorded a lot of things. I think he's That's a perfectly true. nice guy. Oh yeah. Did you ever see? Does anyone here watch The Big Bang Theory? Mm-mm. Okay, there was the episode where Sheldon went and met him, and then they like went to the carnival together, and like, <laughs> and, and it was like super cool because he was like he was like eating at a sushi restaurant, and Sheldon shows up and he goes, "Are you here because of Star Wars?" And he's like, "Yes." And he's like, "I like Star Wars too," and they like go out and have fun together. <laughs> And I guess maybe that that says something about like the difference in in villains too. Because mm-hmm. back in the day, you saw Darth Vader, and it was like, oh, this is a villain. Like he's a bad guy. Awesome. And it, it is a it is a cool <laughs> scene. Like when mm-hmm. you first see him, and um, and even with the new prequels, you see a little bit of his backstory, and it's it makes you like feel for the guy, but it makes you like even cheer for him more when he comes back in Return of the Jedi as a good guy. Yeah. But then the um. The flip side would be Joker, where, like, it's very depraved evil, whereas opposed to, like, that, I mean, all evil is redeemable, and everyone can be, come back from something that they've done wrong, but, like, there's never that, that side of Joker scene. Mm-hmm. You don't see him flip to the good side or realize that what he's doing is wrong, like, and even like I guess, so I'd say like more recently you've got that that whole dynamic of of these people, which would probably bring someone to a place where, if they can't get out of that character, then they feel just like awful about themselves. But mm-hmm. then when you take a step back and you look at like, even like Doc Ock in <laughs> the uh, Tobey Maguire Spider Man's like, at the end of it he's like, "What I've done is wrong." Like. Hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the Marvel heroes at some point realize that they like, either they realize that they. No, actually, just the Tobey Maguire Spider Man's. Never mind. Tobey just... Maguire Spider Man's were. I loved those. Those movies. were great. They were very full of like, like rich content. Mm-hmm. And like all of those villains at the end realize that like okay they've gone too far like their mistakes have destroyed them in a way but they like redeem themselves in like correcting those mistakes at some point. Except Eddie Brock and I love the way that they put that too because it's like he clings to the power and that he clings to the like I have a whole I could go off on <laughs> on Spider-Man 3 and how I think that it's a movie like depiction of like our battles with sin mm-hmm. but like the most vivid image is when like Peter helps rescue him from the um, symbiote, but then like Eddie Brock isn't ready to to escape from that. He doesn't want it to be gone because he likes the power and the stuff that comes with it. And so he jumps in when it's absorbed a grenade already. And mm-hmm. ultimately that's his destruction. Yeah. So it shows that like, the repentant, the unrepentant heart, like clings to what gives him that false sense of power and that false sense of good in the world. Yeah, I also see a lot of the new villains are like, I think a lot of movies start out with like, oh, who's the villain, and then it becomes like the best friend of the main hero is like actually the villain of the whole movie. Do you think that that's creating a culture of mistrust of friends? I. Yeah. That's a really interesting question because I, the, the, now that you say that, it does make, it does feel like it's something that goes on a lot. I don't think it fosters um, mistrust among friends. I think what it certainly does is highlight one of the worst 
like feelings that you can ever experience in this betrayal. Mm-hmm. And so by having the villain be someone who should be a friend and was a friend, now they've betrayed the hero Hans and become and the Frozen villain. One. What? Hans and Frozen One. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. true. <laughs> like, that's just one of the worst things that we can experience is betrayal. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. I'd say it may foster more of a, a society where we don't have mercy, though. Because it ends up being the story is how to get back at that person, like mm. by punching him into a lake, Hans. Um, uh, but like in cases where this person has betrayed you and then all of a sudden your like entire goal is to destroy them. I mean, in some cases they can bounce the line a little bit where they say like, like I'm trying to help you, I'm trying to save you. I know that you're good inside and stuff like that. But other times it's just like, yep, I'm the bad guy now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going back to like the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans, um, you see that like for him, there's like that internal battle of like, Oh, like, do I kill this person or do I try to save them? And he like, is like trying to save them, but like can't. Um, and then it kind of branches into, um, the Spider-Man no way home, where, like, all of the villains come back and it's all three Spider-Mans, like, trying to actually, like, correct these people. And I don't think that commonly happens. It's like, oh, um, your best friend betrayed you. Gotta kill him now. Um, Instead of, like, oh, best friend betrayed you. Let's, like, talk about it and work through it and, like, you know, come to, like, a forgiveness after some point, which is, like, what actually should happen in normal human relationships. Like, I was watching Goldeneye, the uh, James Bond, the other day. And essentially it all starts out with he thinking that his like, you know, fellow agent died and then turns out he actually faked his death. And now he's like defected to the Soviet Union and is like trying to blow up the world. Um, and so then like the the Bond girl is like, you have to kill him now because he's like, he was your friend, but now he's not anymore. And I'm like, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> like in real human relationships. OK, someone betrays you. Yeah, there's like a level of trust that needs to be earned back. But like there is possibility for that. There's possibility for reconciliation and kind of what you were saying about like not having as much mercy anymore. It is like, Oh, your best friend betrayed you. Don't ever talk to them again. Tell everyone dirty lies about them. Punch Um, them into a lake. Punch them into a lake. Yeah. I think that's definitely a good point that it's kind of, yeah, there's a lot less mercy for people who are your friends. I like see so often that like, Oh, someone got into a disagreement with their friend, not going to ever talk to them again. So I see it in even some like relationships and friends relationships. I see like people who have been hurt and even the person who's like hurt the other person, betrayed the other person when they, when they make that choice to say like what I did was wrong and I want to try to fix things and make this commitment. Like oftentimes we're in like a, in our culture, it promotes us to, not take that chance and forgive them like oh you could be hurt again is the the common lie and that you know like because of that lack of portrayal it's like there a really good scene like one that i want to see someday is like the one where someone betrays and then like no matter what the other person doesn't give up on them and like it's something that's obviously seen in older movies but like something like a really good scene where it's like 
I know that there there's a risk of this guy hurting me. I know that this person is going to hurt me again or likely going to hurt me again, but I'm not going to give up on them because that really uh, it's maybe like an angle that isn't taken as much on the Jesus hero mm-hmm. type because he doesn't give up on you and he still will no matter how much you betray him. Even Judas up until the time that he died, Jesus was not going to hold that over him the rest of his life. I mean, yeah. it would have hurt, obviously. Like, but God, he was going to forgive him. He wanted to forgive him. You kind of like see that. I'm thinking of um, the Star Wars prequels when uh, Padme finds out that Anakin killed all the young Jedi's and everything, and she's like, "I'm gonna go see him because like he he's like still good." Literally, like chokes her, kills her. She has her babies, and she's like, "They're still good in him." Like. That's just, like, an example of, like, and they're, like, married. That's a relationship where she, like, believes and actually knows to be true there is still good in him. We don't see it until, like, three movies later when he, (laughs) you know, overthrows the Emperor for his son. But still, like, Darth Vader's doing his best as a dad that he possibly can, like, you know. Considering the fact that he didn't know he had a son until, you know, movie four. And there's only, like, two years in between there. He worked through a lot to, you know, kill his mentor for his son that he only knew he had for, like, two years. Honestly. Padme definitely married a a frog. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she didn't wait for him to become (laughs) a prince. (laughs) Darth Vader. Darth Vader is probably my all-time favorite character. And, like, maybe... Maybe it's like a generational thing, but Luke Skywalker is... I don't even like that character. (laughs) (laughs) To me, the Star Wars movies are about Anakin Skywalker, mm-hmm. Darth Vader. Uh, well, Anakin Skywalker is awful. He gets corrupted. He's he's lustful. He's greedy. He's power hungry, and he gets corrupted. But Darth Vader finds good in fatherhood, and through that is redeemed. I like the rhyme there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, how many... Was there a rhyme? Finds good in fatherhood. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, like, how many men, I think, today in, like, our world are Anakin Skywalker and, like, yes, a commitment in marriage and children transform them into what you're saying Darth Vader was? Like, is that not something that is still, like, even his from his, like, horrible, like, beginning story actually, like, is a story that can be relatable for a lot of men who, like, were in that position and now they're moving towards a place where, like, fatherhood does bring out better in them. Well, and I would say, like, the the Anakin Skywalker Darth Vader relationship how uh Obi-Wan puts it he's like when like Darth Vader took over the person that was your father died like mm. but that's not necessarily true the good of Anakin Skywalker the innocence i guess is probably what Anakin represents and then Darth Vader is what the the evil represents Mm -hmm. and so everyone still has that childlike innocence in them where like what always struck me as a kid like if you'd watch phantom menace and then you watch revenge of the sith right after like it's this this kid becomes this guy Mm. and it's like i always kind of was like i'd find myself relating to that character where i was like i have been this guy i'm like like I've been given all this potential and I'm not using it for the best of what's good. And a lot of times I'm using it for something selfish and it's like, that's something that's very relatable in a character. And there's times when you get into that dark Cape, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, but the, it does 
like really show then the the redeemable part when you see even someone who's been like so torn so you know he's got no reason to return to the good side after he got all of his limbs chopped off in a <laughs> burned alive for a little like, bit like all of his childhood trauma never knowing his father growing up as a slave mother being killed by sand people yeah um, girlfriend and the jedi just telling him to deal with it yeah (laughs) and then he's like oh in love doesn't know how to deal with it i think the jedi kind of brush it under the rug they like definitely know what's going on and they're like we're just not going to talk about it um and then he like you know is now supposed to be a father but he's also a jedi there's a whole mess going on and he just like wants to be recognized and then someone is like i can recognize you if you do all these terrible things but he like presents them in a way that's like oh this is all good which mm-hmm. is so often what the enemy does to us it's like oh i like see you if you do all of this stuff you know and it's not that bad because like in my plan it's good um it is just like really how we can become corrupt by a, like a desire to be seen and known someone we were talking about star wars the other day and someone kind of blew my mind about a very particular part of the first one, The Phantom Menace, mm-hmm. kind of redeemed it for me. Um, Jar Jar Banks is kind of silly, but <laughs> yeah. um, so, so right. who was it that was sent to mentor Anakin? This like chosen one, right? It wasn't Obi Wan. It was Qui Gon Jinn. Yeah. And the reason why was because Qui Gon would would have filled that father role for Anakin, mm-hmm. and because Qui Gon Jinn was murdered by Darth Maul and he had to grow up not with a father but with kind of an older brother he was led down the path that would turn him into Darth Vader and I was like yeah it kind of blew my mind because without a father he didn't know how to handle his passions his love he didn't know how to step up and control his anger he didn't know how to do all these things that a father ought to help him with and Qui-Gon was supposed to be that father Mm mm-hmm and yeah, you see that like everyone is like, oh, Obi-Wan is like the hero. But I think that I see that Obi-Wan fails a lot to be the mentor that Anakin actually needed him to be. Mm-hmm. He just kind of like lets things go. I think because he's afraid to confront Anakin about things that like if he was to confront him would be so much easier to manage. Like if he was at the beginning to say, hey, I know you're kind of like having a weird relationship with Padme, let's talk about it. Instead of, like, letting them, like, get married and become pregnant and then, like, oh, he finds out that he did all these terrible things, goes and talks to Padme and says, yeah, I know that, like, Anakin is the father of your children and now I'm going to go confront him. That is poor timing. Yeah, and, it like, I think that maybe that's part of the reason that the Obi-Wan arc failed, like, in the... Not necessarily failed, it just... There was a, I was expecting a lot from the Obi-Wan series and it didn't kind of like fulfill because it didn't really hit on the relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan again. And mm. maybe it's like you said, like they tried to make him into a father figure of Well, Anakin. yeah, he just couldn't fill he, that role. And it didn't mm-hmm. really dis- like like make that distinction of how it like was him not like trying to fill a role that he couldn't fill. And that is something they kind of play on throughout the first three movies is like they are more like a like brothers mm-hmm. and and then going back to the what we were talking about earlier how about the about how the jedi jedi fail to like 
actually be there for her and they're just expecting him to be this perfect jedi that has no problems because he's the quote-unquote chosen one it's like i mean not to make the direct comparison but even jesus needed joseph and Mm -hmm. he like submitted himself to joseph so that he could be corrected like that like in that kind of idea anakin would have been someone who needed to be like brought up to bring to his full potential and because he wasn't going to he wasn't able to uh, like the good people in his life were the jedi and he wasn't able to have those those conversations like say i'm struggling or else he'd be like kicked out of the order like because he wasn't able to do those things and have those conversations with those people who did he turn to you know he turned to the person who listened to him or at least pretended to listen to him you're saying that Padme only pretended to listen oh, to Anakin? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, like, obviously, <laughs> I meant for, like, like Oh, are you talking about the Emperor? Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, you're talking about Padme, and I was like, no. I think she actually listened. Oh, no, no, like, she actually did. But, like, when you turn, like, that's how the evil one gets us a lot of time, is you trust, like, if you feel like sometimes that there's not someone listening to you, you go to the first person who does, even if they're manipulating you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, like, a really prevalent in our our modern day relationships is those like people are raised without fathers raised in single parent homes and this is both men and women they go to the first person who gives them that attention that they are desiring and then they cling to that attention even if it isn't the best thing for them yeah the feeling of isolation is pretty much the entire motivator behind anakin doing what he did or why he turned to the emperor in the first place. Yeah. I mean, also because, like, he he had, like, I don't know. There was, like, the whole thing where he had that dream that Padme was going to die. And he, like, didn't know how to handle that on his own. Mm. Um, and I think that's kind of, like, I think his relationship with the emperor at first, when they were just, like, talking, having, like, community, was not necessarily terrible. Like, maybe he should have spent his time with other people. The Jedi should have, like, encouraged more community. But when he was, like, faced with a huge trial where he's like, oh, this person that's important to me is going to die. He's like, I don't feel like anyone is going to be- listen except for this person who has been listening. And then this guy's like, ha now I can, like, do my dirty work, you and know? Th- and think about that, too, like... It shows the, the the contrast of the answers that he gets. He goes to Yoda, and Yoda tells him to, like, learn to let go. Like, and the then Palpatine tells him, like, I have the power to save your wife. <laughs> yeah, so grasp, grasp control. And, mm-hmm. Like, you can, you can do it. You and, can... and it's that kind of thing that appeals to a guy who's in that vulnerable position. I mean, and I think so, it appeals to all of us. Well, like, I, mean, I love it, to be in control true. of everything. <laughs> it, 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 well, I guess then, it, you know, it applies universally. Like, everyone will go with Darth Sidious, even though you know that he's the bad guy. I mean, look at Anakin. He knew that he was a bad guy. He turned his lightsaber on him, and then he's like, I still can save the one you love. And he's like, fine. You know, like, yeah, and actually, Mace like, window out the window. <laughs> that choice to like grasp for control is actually what killed his wife. Exactly. Okay, I've heard so kind of a crazy like fan theory about this all. So, do you guys remember the end of um, whatever the ninth one was called? Um, the Last Jedi? 
Was no. That, no, that Rise wasn't the last. Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Okay. And so, like, Ben um, or, like, Kylo Ren, like, heals her at the end by giving, like, his life force. Mm-hmm. I've heard theories that Palpatine, like, that was, like, Palpatine taught that to Anakin. And that was, like, the, the secret. And, like, what actually happened was when Anakin was dying after getting all his limbs cut off, the reason that Padme died was because Darth Sidious was like, ha, 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 I'm going to take her life force give it to him and that's why she died they were just like oh she doesn't have the will to live anymore and palpatine was just like actually i'm just like stealing her life for anakin i've heard that theory before and i was like huh interesting probably not true but interesting i've always loved the memes where it was like guess who dies and it was like anakin torn like loses three limbs burned left for dead in a pit of lava and then it was padme just sad (laughs) (laughs) died of sadness yeah it's so true also i'm like so confused by her birth and everything because it's just like these robots they're just like ooh, ooh, you have a baby (laughs) they're like where did it come from she's dying now (laughs) i know they're just for reasons we cannot explain (laughs) we're losing her and then she Figure has, it out. She has these matching names for her twins, just already yeah. picked out Luke and Leia. You know, I was like, well, I mean, she knew that she had twins. I'm sure she was thinking. Did she about, know that? I think she did. No, no, because Obi Wan was super confused because they were like the babies, and he's like babies. Hmm. She's expecting twins, but like she couldn't have known they were like boy and girl unless Leia is supposed to be like gender neutral and Luke, I guess. Hmm. I think maybe, Luke is maybe that's neutral. implied. Oh, yeah. Maybe gender fluid in the Star Wars universe. Oh, okay. dear. Let's not open <laughs> that can of worms. <laughs> but yeah. Very interesting. Like, there is a lot of those messages in movies that, like, like you said, like, and, and I think that the, the way that the modern movie industry is, it doesn't really tell the story. Like, stories that people need to hear it's stories that people kind of want to hear Mm -hmm. i'd say yeah i think that like so i read um the wild at heart and captivating like have you read those okay Mm -hmm. they're by this like married couple um and it's like understanding the masculine heart and the feminine heart um And I think what they talk about in there, they actually have a ton of movie references. They're like, oh, like, you can see this idea played out in, like, this movie. Like, for the guys' book, um, they talk about Braveheart a lot. I don't know if you guys have seen Braveheart. Any any Mel Gibson movie, I love it. Yeah, and they talk about how that is, like, like, such a depiction of, like, the masculine heart. How it's, like, they, like, want adventure. They want to fight for... Um, well, they just want to fight in general, but they want to like fight for like the woman they love. They want to protect her. Um, they want to like go on like a brave adventure and everything. But for like women, what they look for in movies is like they want to be considered captivating. So they want like to have the attention. Um, so like any like female lead in a movie is like, oh, she's like the most beautiful one in the movie. Um, like everyone else is like also beautiful, but like she's just like better, you Mm. know? And then there's also, like, she wants to be pursued, um, things like that. So, like, what appeals to women in movies, I think, is that idea of, like, the pursual of, like, a great beauty. And, like, you want to be that beauty. And, like, for the guys, it's like, oh, yeah, I want to be the warrior going out and, like, fighting. So, I see this with, like, any movie that has both is automatically probably a hit. Um, So, like, you look like Lord of the Rings. Like, 
Aragorn, you're like, oh yeah, like guys are like, I want to like fight like that. But then he also has like this very beautiful woman that like has captured his heart and every woman is like, oh, I want to be her, you know? And then you're just like, I'm actually Eowyn, so kind of sad. But like, (laughs) (laughs) but like Eowyn is also like this super cool lady, but she's like, and she's got like Faramir if you watch the extended edition, you know, you see that like they have a thing, which is super cool. Um, but like anytime that a movie ties together, like a woman that is being pursued and is like extremely beautiful and a guy that is like out there, like fighting for that woman and, um, is like on a huge adventure and like has like camaraderie. I think that automatically like makes a movie something that is like enticing to people to watch. I think that that's something that's kind of lost on in an, again, in modern movies is that the, the female leads don't typically do the the female things like being the one who is like prized they are the ones who like like i was you the, as you were talking there i was thinking about how like oh avatar would be like a good example of that because it was the number one movie and it was like people it was a guy pursuing a girl but it wasn't exactly the same because in avatar the female lead is also fighting the war and not like being someone who's like pursuable you know what i'm saying in she that is pursuable in a way in a way but it's it's a little bit different you're right yeah i think like what makes her attractive um in like her own way is that she is like when she's fighting she is like fighting for her people um so it's not like she's just like out there not saying that like guy leads are just like oh like i'm just gonna kill whoever you know (laughs) but like she was like doing it out of defense for people that she loved and it very much like came from her heart um and then you also look at like i remember in the first one when he like kills the animal and she's like oh no no like you like release its soul like you kill it with like kindness um i hate that phrase but um, (laughs) but like there is like a level of like there's a feminine heart to her that you can see that is very different in their like fighting styles and the way that they interact with each other like he's like like she is aggressive but i think at first because she's scared of him because he's literally like a human in an avatar body and it's kind of weird like i would be weirded out if i saw that you know Mm -hmm. um but when she, like, comes to, like, get to know him, the relationship that they have is very much, like, I think a feminine-masculine relationship eventually down the road when she, like, warms up to him a little bit. Sure. And I think that's with, like, every woman, you know? We want to seem like we have our guard up until you're like, oh, yeah, this guy's not too bad. He's not that much of a frog, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might have missed that earlier. Oh, yeah, we were talking I, about... I mean, I was there when you talked about the the prince and... okay how you'd be willing to kiss a prince but only marry if i mean uh kiss a frog <laughs> yeah I mean, only kiss the prince marry the frog <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no i think we were talking about that like um like you can date a frog but you shouldn't marry one so like a guy like a woman brings out a masculine heart and like kind of matures a man um but like women can kind of mature on their own so sometimes you have to you were talking about like the ti talk was it yes that came yeah, from? yeah that like that. Um, like sometime... Shrek 2. Shrek 2. You mean Shrek 1? Shrek 2, the one with uh, Fiona's dad. Fiona. Oh! Or he turns into yeah. a frog. <laughs> because he was... He, he was, was the, the king. Fr- he was the frog. Yeah. yeah. And the, the wife <laughs> was the queen. 
who kissed the frog <laughs> became a Wait, but are we sure? Because she Wait. was so, like, confused when he turned into a frog. So are we not sure he kissed some other girl and then was like, huh, I'm going to mm. go find someone else. Yeah. Ooh, that might, that's interesting. Because he did, but, like, because the fairy godmother, like, threatened him. I will send you back to, like, where you came, like. And he know, just, like, accepted it for his daughter, though. For you. And he had initially, like, been a frog. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah. Remember, you are a frog, and, and to a frog you well, shall return. Well, and then in the bar, in the, <laughs> geez. and in the bar, it was uh like, the, the girl frog was like, "Do I know you from somewhere?" And that then, was and super the awkward. Like, I remember as uh, like a kid, I was like, "No, I, I think you're thinking of someone else." It's like, oh, because I never picked up on that foreshadowing until I was like old enough to understand the movie like, mm-hmm. a little bit more. Yeah, honestly, the Shrek, like Shrek one and two. They are really great movies, actually. Like, they are. When you look at the, like, moral lessons behind them, too, like, Shrek 1 is, like, okay, this guy who's an ogre, very comfortable with himself, but doesn't, like, want to be in relationship with others. Woman who is also an ogre, only at night, though, um, like, <laughs> is not comfortable with herself, doesn't want to, like, let someone see her. And then they both, like, come together, realize that they, like, are very similar. Um, and she leaves the rich... I don't even know if, like... Lord Farquaad is rich. I mean, he's got the big castle, but I don't think that, like... Yeah. It's making up for something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> In Shrek, uh, yeah. he's compensating for something. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, like, at the end, they realize that they can be, like, truly themselves and, like, live in relationship. That's a beautiful message. And then in Shrek 2, it's like, oh, what if we were beautiful? And Fiona's like, I love the ogre that I married. And then I'm like, oh, that's so cute. You know, it's great that they can have that kind of relationship and just be comfortable with themselves. <laughs> and then they Shrek 3 is weird with, like, the kids and everything. Yeah, Shrek yeah. 3 is just a different story. The, like, the scene where he's, like, having the, like, nightmare about all, the babies. all the babies. And oh, then yeah. when he wake, he thinks he wakes up in his dream and he, like, turns up and he's like, donkey, donkey. And donkey has the, like, ogre baby face and he goes, like, da-da. It's so weird. It is so weird. That is, like... One of the most trippy scenes. Uh, I didn't like that. But it is funny to watch like the whole like awkward King Arthur and then the That is okay. Shrek three is actually pretty good. It Shrek four good. awful. Oh no. The Shrek so... four where he's like, Do the roar, daddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, Do the, the roar. roar. <laughs> I love you, daddy. <laughs> oh, that was so good. <laughs> Wait, how did we get to Shrek? Uh, we were talking about the princess and the frog. It was frog. really profound, but it's completely We, we were lost talking on about us. how you. Uh, oh, the frog. Yeah, yes. The frog. Yeah. Okay. I love opening cans of worms. <laughs> Wait, earlier you said you didn't want to, though. I know. That was a different can of worms. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, on that note, we'll wrap things up. Thank you so much, Allison, for joining us. It was a lovely conversation. Hopefully you all learned something about uh, how to look at movies differently and maybe through a lens of morality and a lens of the Christian life and how it's portrayed in, in popular culture. We encourage everyone listening to like and subscribe on whatever you listen on. Uh, make sure to give us five-star ratings. If it's not five stars, don't give us a rating. <laughs> um, 
But first, uh, what was your podcast yeah. called again? Oh, okay. It's the Entertainment Inquisition. Um, it's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So if you ever want to go listen, um, right now I only have three episodes out, but in the near future there will be lots more. Um, and then yeah, we'll see about doing Father Stew together. So um, be on the lookout for that on my channel. Sweet little collab. Yeah. No so one ever check expects that out. the Entertainment Inquisition. What? What? No one expects <laughs> no the Spanish Inquisition. Oh, I didn't, oh, I didn't hear what you I said. Okay, okay, okay. I got you. Hopefully the listeners heard that and laughed. <laughs> Can you... Uh... Rewind it a little bit? <laughs> no, just hit the button. <laughs> Sympathy laughter. I need the brumch. I think this is getting New Year less than five-star rating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, everyone make sure to check out the... What is it called? The Entertainment Inquisition. The Entertainment Inquisition. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Have a blessed day.